We're all capable of so much more than we probably give ourselves credit for. And I think probably one of the biggest things we've taken out of it is just to be kind to ourselves and to each other and believe in ourselves and set the targets and the goals high. And even if we don't reach them, well, it's better than setting a low goal and achieving that. Hello, welcome back to Ducks on the Pond, brought to you by the Rural Podcasting Co. I'm Kirsten Diprose, and this is part two of our series on how to build a soil carbon project. So make sure you listen to part one first. Sarah Winnie, farmer and co-director at Chatsworth House Pastoral in Western Victoria, joins me again. And in this episode, we really dive deep into what you need to do in a soil carbon project. Because the federal government here in Australia has rules like the newness factor and reporting requirements, which Sarah will explain. She talks baselining and soil carbon testing. She also speaks about why she's had a personal and business coach throughout this whole massive transformation of their property, which has moved from a more traditional mixed farm to adopting regenerative grazing practices. So get ready for some really practical, useful tips on building a soil carbon project, as well as some really great mindset advice. For Sarah, it's probably equally about both. Okay, Sarah Winnie, thank you again for joining us on Ducks on the Pond. Pleasure. It's great to be back. My first question to you is, being in the middle of the project, how are you feeling about it? Like, do you wake up every day full of passion or what's it like? I think we do wake up every day full of passion, but it's probably not per se for the carbon project. It's for farming the way that we farm and having a positive impact on on the land and the world around us. So we are really feeling like we made the right decision to go down the soil carbon project path, but I would emphasise that we don't wake up every day to build soil carbon. We wake up every day to run a sheep and beef property. So tell me about the stages of the soil carbon project. So as I alluded to in the last episode, the first stage actually before you even get into registration and the actual sort of steps is your research and working out why you want to do one, if it's a good fit for you, who is around that can support you in that and and is your mindset set up and and open to doing one and talk to people. I think just calling up people, talking to them, reading is, you know, just so essential in all of that. That's what I've done a lot of, a lot of just finding out who's doing this, calling them, and, it, and everyone's been really happy to have a chat about what they're doing and what they've learned. So, yeah, don't be afraid to pick up the phone. I think the, the next thing is deciding if you're going to use a project developer or a um fee-for-service type model to help you with the compliance and the process behind this because it's really important that you get the paperwork right. Otherwise, there's no point really going down this track. So once you've decided on who you're using to help you with that, you then need to register your project with the Clean Energy Regulator. And that is, you know, a fairly cumbersome project like a lot of government things. And as part of that, you also put together a land management strategy. So you might hear people talk about the newness factor. So when you start a carbon project, you have to be able to show that you're doing something different to business as usual, which has um, got its pros and cons, but that that's the rules at this point in time, so you have to play by them. So that might include things like moving to a different grazing systems, so maybe going from set stocking to rotational grazing. It might mean 
using sort of different inputs might be about correcting the soil sort of pH and calcium and so on through using lime. It might be about using other synthetic or non-synthetic fertilizers and like compost, which is what we've gone with as our newness factor. That a compost into our sort of system. It might be sowing down a cropping system into a perennial pasture. It might be going to a no-till cropping system. I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but there's a lot of different things that you can choose to be, you know, the reason why you're changing. But I wouldn't be put off by that if you're already doing a lot of those things. There are ways to show that you're not going to continue business as usual. You're going to sort of step up the intensity of what you're doing and make a difference. So that's the land management strategy. And then from there, you do your baseline testing. So that's where you get the the tester out and they do their cores and um, they test the soils. And before that, you've done a lot of mapping and stuff with the registration so that you know where you're going to be testing. And I would say too, like this is a, a soil carbon project and there are different types of carbon projects, just so people don't get confused about you know, there is an environmental planting methodology you can use, which is about planting sort of native trees. And there are other avoided emissions type projects like savannah burning on the north or reducing fuel usage and things like that. So once, yeah, you've got the testing rig on the farm, I think the big thing to point out with that is you have to make sure that you're using a someone that is authorised to be doing it. It's not just anybody can do it. They've got to be following really strict protocols. And then the other really key thing about baseline testing is they separate it into two things. So the minimum depth you have to test is 30 centimetres, but I would recommend everyone do more than that. So what they'll do is they'll do their core down to a metre or 1.2 metres even, and then they separate that core out to the top 30 centimetres and they measure the carbon in that, and then they measure the massive carbon below 30 centimetres as well. And that just gives you a much bigger bucket to play with. So, you know, the idea is you get your deep-rooted perennials down into that subsoil and that's where the really permanent carbon can be built. That's what everyone's kind of excited about. And the top 10 centimetres of carbon that we sort of talk about a lot in farming is, is not really what we're talking about with soil carbon projects. So, it's the stuff at a deeper level that's going to be there for a longer time that is is what we're sort of looking for. And do the roots go down to that level? Can you get roots down there? Yeah, you can. Yeah, and I think every environment will be different and it's dependent on soil type and rainfall and I'm not a soil scientist, but, yeah, from what I hear and from the research I've done and talking to other people, that is that is the potential of getting that soil carbon at depth is where it gets exciting, I think. And I think there's still a lot of research to be done in that area, to be fair. So, you know, it's a bit of an unknown at this point, but there are a couple of recent carbon projects that have been announced that have built soil carbon at depth. So, you know, it, it's possible. And how know. often does it get tested or retested? Every five years is sort of the most amount of time you can go. So we could test after two or three years if we wanted to, but you have to test at least every five years throughout the project. We'll be waiting till five years. I just think with the cost of baseline testing, you may as well wait in this situation the full five years to get hopefully that, you know, the highest amount of soil carbon built in that time frame. Give yourself time. And is it possible for things to skew the results a bit? Like if you've had 
an extreme drought or a whole lot of flooding or wet weather, can that make it look different to to what it is? It's a really interesting conversation and I think one a lot of people focus on. But because we're talking more about soil carbon at depth, it's not such a big issue. And if you actually look at the soil carbon projects that have been announced recently and been issued a lot of ACUs through Carbon Link, and if you look at the data behind that, I was just looking at it last week, actually, and they actually had a couple of really dry years. And through that process, one might have even had a five, but it certainly wasn't like a string of five really good seasons that made them build the soil carbon. It was their management of those seasons that built the soil carbon. And in terms of who did your baselining, do you mind if I ask who who did that? Well, we are using a company called Australian Soil Management, but I would stress again that, you know, they they may or may not be right for you. You've got to work out what works for you. I can't remember the guy that did the drilling. I, his name was Ben and he's on Instagram as Benny the Driller and I can't actually remember his real name, but he was lovely and we had quite a few meals with him and enjoyed his company. <laughs> we'll look him up, Benny the Driller on Insta. Awesome. He'll just get a whole heap of followers, hopefully. Yeah, but there's there's some really, you know, professional riggers out there. So, you know, there's lots of people. You mentioned really briefly at the start of this episode and you mentioned it in the last one about mindset, about getting your brain and in the right sort of field for this and you said that you and your partner did some work what do you mean what you you said you're working on yourselves what 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 do you mean (laughs) what do I mean by that so working on ourselves for us has meant working with a personal coach and a business coach and really sort of removing some barriers for what we thought was possible and kind of giving ourselves every opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. So I know you've done lots of podcasts with different people on these topics before, which I love listening to as well. And there's just so much to be said for making sure you break down any paradigms you've got in your own head or and that self-talk and just making sure that you know that you're capable of doing this you know we're all capable of so much more than we probably give ourselves credit for and I think probably one of the biggest things we've taken out of it is just to be kind to ourselves and to each other and 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 believe in ourselves and I think and set the targets and the goals high and even if we don't reach them well it's better than setting a low goal and achieving that we've worked with a great coach personal and business and and then we've also done quite a lot of learning but we probably couldn't have done that learning if we hadn't sort of got our mindset into that open mindset that's open to learning, but we have done lots of short courses. And we've just recently done the RCS Grazing for Profit course, which we probably should have done years ago, but we loved that as well. No, I think it's really great that you you raised that because I, I remember someone on the, the podcast saying that they thought they were bad at money because when they were a kid, they would sort of spend their money on lollies and silly things rather than saving it. And so held this idea about herself into her 30s that she was bad at money and therefore couldn't be in business, but she's doing very, very well in business now and, you know is not bad at money, but had that in her brain her whole life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all do that. Yeah. Is there anything that you had to really work on? Yeah, there's been a lot that I've had to work on and probably more than I than I thought there would be, to be fair. But, and I think, yeah, um, it's probably hard to really explain in an absolute way. It's probably a bit more abstract, but yeah, it's been a lot about sort of letting go 
and letting go of control and just going with the flow in a lot of different aspects of life and then really just embracing who I am and what we're doing and and making the most of it. So it's very hard to give an exact example but without getting too deep. <laughs> That's all right. We I won't I won't push too hard. <laughs> I think another one that we as women in particular, I think, find it hard is sort of, and and someone said it to me recently and and it resonated and it was like, you have permission to do these things. Sometimes we feel like we need to ask permission, whether that's from our family or our boss or whatever it is. And sometimes you, you actually don't need to ask permission. You can just do it. Yeah, absolutely. You can just do it. And I think also being really clear on what you're saying yes to, like, you know, really good at saying yes, but when you say yes to something, you say no to something else. And so just being really clear on where you want to focus your time and your energy. And so, you know, for me, the farm is a huge thing, you know, and I'm in business, you know, with my lovely husband, Tom, and that comes with its own challenges, but also great benefits. But the family is, you know, really a big focus, obviously, for me, our kids are still quite young, and I can't lose sight of that. So I think just doing what, you know, is best for us at this point in time is really key. Were you and your husband both on the same wavelength in terms of this soil carbon project, like you both were really wanting to do it? Or was it one leading the other at some stage? Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say, and Tom would say this too, that I've probably led the charge there. And with the research and stuff that I've done, I've probably been quicker to be like, yep, this is what we should do and we need to do and we can do. And he's very kindly come along for the ride. But I think it's also fair to say that he has got to a point where he is totally on board and with it as well now. But I think it's probably just comes back to that we, that we all have a different pace of change and so you've just got to go at the pace that's comfortable for you and I think just being open to lifelong learning and through that and also it's been fascinating you know once you learn things you can't unlearn them so that's been really key but we're both at you know different stages of the journey but going along together. That's good to hear because, yeah, I think everyone's different. When you're in a partnership, it can be tricky if if one is more passionate or just further along in the journey than the other. But in terms of implementation, how has that gone, you know, when you actually are putting in those multi-species pastures? Has it ever gone wrong or have you ever tried something and it really didn't work? Yeah, I think probably two examples come to mind. I mean, one... I wouldn't say it didn't work, but when we were first sort of doing our baselining, we had to get our baselining done and finished before we could implement the new newness factor. And I we'd sort of gone, yeah, we're going to spread all this compost. But then we were like, oh, actually, we have to wait for the project to be registered. We have to wait for the baselining to be done. And now we want to spread the compost. But the, And getting those timeframes all lined up and the red tape around the timeframes and making sure that we didn't you know, jeopardise the project at the very first step was kind of uh, tricky there for a moment, but we we worked through that. But one example of where, it, you know, didn't really go to plan was we were ready to sow down, or we felt like we were ready to sow down a lot of perennial pasture and we decided to give it a good crack and sowed like quite a lot down one spring and then it kind of the tap turned off and it didn't really survive. So we had to then re-sow all that the following autumn at, you know, a significant cost and and 
opportunity cost of not having that pasture there ready to graze in as quickly as well. So I think that juggle of improving pastures and managing that stocking rate to carrying capacity on that land, yeah, is is real. Yeah. Yeah. How did you deal with that? I mean, I think if you're going to start a new project, you almost need to accept that at some point something's going to go, we're not necessarily wrong, but something's going to happen and it's not what you expected or not what you had hoped. I, I think it probably comes back to just being kind to yourself and knowing that, you know, you won't always get it right. But as long as you're heading in the right direction, that's okay. And as long as you've been doing your numbers and you can manage it financially, that's okay. Like I think, you know, they talk about it a J curve in these types of situations. It's not just about what's happening in the paddock, it's about what's happening in the bank balance as well. So you've got to really keep that in mind. And I think risk management comes into it. Probably if we had our time again, probably go a little bit slower in some of our pace of what we were doing. We probably got a bit gung-ho there for a little bit or impatient. You know, I think we went to a field day once and they're like, what's your big, biggest advice? You know, asking sort of the people have been doing this for a long time they're like just be patient just be patient we're like we're not patient we can do this quick and maybe maybe we can maybe we can't (laughs) and look I don't know soil I just think is some kind of magic mysterious thing and maybe we will be able to explain it all scientifically but I don't know how are you going with staff you know the people who are helping you along this journey the, the sorts of practices you might be doing might be different to what they have previously done or were taught to do. So how do you lead them to be part of this project and and embrace the kind of changes that are happening? Yeah, I think uh, it's a really important point. The people, like I mentioned, I think in the last episode, are really key to this. Like without the people, we can't do what we want to do. Without us being in the right place, we can't do what we want to do either. So During our recruitment process, what we've been trying to do, and we haven't always got it right, but what we've been trying to do is really explain to potential staff members what our philosophy is, what our strategy and our vision is, and making sure that we're hiring people that are aligned with our vision and our values. I heard on a podcast a great thing the other day, like you hire on values and you fire on values. And I think that is probably the key to it. And if we have people working with us that are aligned to our values, it it works. Yeah, we can't really afford to have people that are in a push-pull situation. It's good to have like, you know, it's good to have strong conversations and for people to, you know, question what you're doing. Like that's that's great, but you've got to make sure that they are aligned with where you're heading so that you don't have that push-pull getting stuck in the middle type situation happening. Mm. So getting back to your soil carbon project, where are you at in that? journey what what have you got to do next so we've yeah obviously gone through the whole registration approval land management strategy it's all done that the baseline's done we're implementing our sort of changed practices for want of a better word and so our next stage will be in another sort of 18 months time we'll do our next soil test soil testing sort of regime and produce our reporting requirements for the clean energy regulator so that they can do the audit that's required and and then hopefully we've built soil carbon and we'll get issued with our Australian carbon credit units or ACUs. It doesn't start again, but you then just keep doing your practice and then every five years for a period of time we'll be doing our testing. It'll be great, a great thing to have in 20, 30 years and for the next person who farms where you're at, whether that's a, a child or someone else, to have that sort of history and data on the farm, won't it? 
Yeah, it will be amazing. Farmers that have been on the same place for a long time, even though it might not be in this regimented process, they will have records in place to show where they've been and where they're going, which is, yeah, it's. I mean, it's important for everything. You can't manage what you can't measure, they say. What about reporting as part of the Soil Carbon Project? After you do your testing, what are you required to do in terms of that reporting? Our general day-to-day or annual management reporting that we do, you know, we record in different software programs where our sheep and cattle are on the property, what our grazing's like. We record the inputs that we're putting on the paddock or if they've been sown down, if we've used lime or compost. So we record all of that anyway. So that is all important. And then I think the project developers can help you work through the other sort of re- reporting that's required. Um, what yeah. software do you use? We're using Maya Grazing for our animal and grazing management and then we use Ag World for our paddock records. We were using that when we were cropping and we found it worked quite well, so I've stuck with that. For anyone who is starting out and just really wants to know what some good places to start to read uh, or to learn from, where do you suggest? Uh, I think there's two different avenues of research. One is learning about soil health and farming systems. So there are lots of great books to read out there and YouTubes. I think three books that really come to mind would be Charles Massey's book. Then there's Nicole Masters for the Love of Soil and Gabe Brown's Dirt to Soil. They're three that I read right at the start that really come at top of mind. Uh, And then in the carbon space specifically, I found a great resource in the Carbon Farming Foundation. I believe they're set up by a philanthropic fund and they their, their vision is to really grow this space and they have a really an amazing education hub on their website. So I've directed quite a few of my friends there to sort of start their research. And then I would just be really clear on who you want to partner with if you do go down this space. It's very much an emerging industry and there are a lot of different players and everyone has different motivations for being in this space. So just be really clear about finding someone that is aligned with your values, like we were talking about before, and that has the runs on the boards that done this before, that really knows their stuff and that you can really trust. I think just, you know, go on your gut instinct to make sure that you make that right decision of who to partner with. So my final question to you is really about the future. What are you hoping to achieve with your property and and I suppose the, the the broader region in the next 10 years? Big question. <laughs> I think really just continuing to build that sort of resilience of our farming system, the profitability of it, the perenniality, the diversity around that. And we'd love to sort of align ourselves with someone down the track to be able to sell a grass-fed beef and lamb that's grown in a, what you might call a regenerative way that is regenerating the landscape as shown by sort of our monitoring. But that's not sort of our main game. Our main game is really just to have a profitable, productive farming system, you know, where we're all happy to live and be and that it is in good shape and a a big enough scale to pass on to the next generation. That's it for this episode of Ducks on the Pond and our two-part series on soil carbon. Thank you to Sarah Winnie of Chatsworth House Pastoral for this collaboration. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. 
If you'd like to collaborate with us here at Ducks on the Pond or sponsor an episode to get your brand out there, then please let me know. Our email is in the show notes. You can DM us as well over Instagram. My name is Kirsten Diprose, and this podcast is brought to you by the Rural Podcasting Co., helping rural people to tell their own stories. Talk to you next time. Thank you.